folks, welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show. And uh, as we wrap up 2022, head into a new calendar year, uh, it's always important for this host to be able to connect with artists who are coming at it from an individual point of view, stylistically, um, trying to develop their own voice and whatever medium they're doing, whether it's uh, on the bandstand uh, or, you know, in my case, behind the microphone or in any event, it's to me, it's cathartic to connect with people uh, like that. And uh, this year I had a chance to connect with a couple of cats who were um, who really uh, blew my mind. And one of them uh, was this cat, Jason Abraham Roberts, who uh, did did magic when he was younger and does create magic on the bandstand. So I've seen him several times this year and uh, been very healing. And uh, and he hit me to his best friend or his closest friend. Uh, from long uh, back in Appalachia, who's a dynamic, you know, sort of multi-artistic person. Um, he has uh, he's authored books, a coffee table book on the band Fish, and um, a myriad of other projects. So it's always important to keep connected to kindred spirits uh, in this time, uh, in, in a very interesting and weird, energetic time. Brian Harding, welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show. What's up, Jake? How's it going? Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, man. You know, I I wanted to ask you a question. Um, did you have to go to the bottom of the pit? Uh, is that what put you on your path to um, sort of peace? Is did you did you ever reach the bottom of the pit in your life? Uh, yeah, for sure. I'd I'd say. I mean, I think there have been people who have reached lower pits than me. I was lucky to have like family and friends, but sure. I mean. I'm like a recovering alcoholic. So, um, you know, I quit drinking when I was like 30 and, uh, haven't gone back to that. So I think, you know, the fact that I did reach a bottom pit definitely brought me to where I am now. Um, I did some cool stuff when I was drinking, but no, well, I mean, let's talk about that because like you first started to see live music in what year? Oh gosh. Well, fish in 90. 90- Six, but live music in general, probably uh, when I was like, I saw, so I saw Fish for the first time when I was 14 years old. Um, so my dad is actually a jazz musician. So I kind of grew up going to a bunch of jazz and classical stuff like that. So Damn, I've been seeing dude, sick. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I've been seeing a lot of music since I was like three. So, um, you know, sitting in like the orchestra pit with him and stuff. And, you know, it was really, really cool time. Well, let me ask you a little bit about the upbringing i mean what was jazz were you seeing it in uh clubs i'm curious about the the live context that you were seeing uh yeah not not so much classical music because like lou donaldson came from north carolina dizzy came from north carolina jimmy Jimmy heath did coltrane like nina simone right man and like were you were was your dad going to was was there a place where you could check not that those cats were some of them were still kicking kicking around i'm wondering if you had a chance to see some of the uh, the our elders in, in jazz yeah i never saw any like quote unquote like uh like household name legends but my so, so I, I, i'm from charlotte north carolina so my dad played a lot of clubs around charlotte um there's some real heavy hitters who didn't really ever get famous you know but they're just amazing players Absolutely, so. yeah totally and my dad's a professor of rock he so he he teaches history of rock and roll at um he taught at unc chapel hill and uncc so i just grew up sitting in those classes and just like learning about rock since i was like five and um as far as live jazz goes i you know i can't name you any impressive stats but you know just going to like traditional jazz shows as a kid i just kind of grew up and it kind of 
you know, kind of set in me. And I would always explore my dad's record collection and found Miles Davis that way and all that kind of crazy stuff. So, you know, it was a, it was an early start. How, what did you, looking back on it, what was the most important things you took away from your dad's history on rock and roll as you brought it into your own artistic life? You know, I think he was always pretty vocal about how much artists got screwed over in the 50s and 60s, most notably like black artists. Um, but just kind of like keeping um, your head up above water and not kind of falling for any kind of like bad situations or bad contracts and kind of like sticking with good people and kind of watching out for sharks and stuff like that. I still didn't really protect, always, always protect myself. Um, but I think he kind of gave me some like wherewithal to kind of keep my head above water and that kind of stuff. Um when you refer to the black musicians of the fifties and sixties, you're talking about like the payola scandal. Exactly. Payola. He spends lots of time in his class talking about that. And I remember as a young kid, just like not fully, not fully, not fully understanding that, but understanding that it was a really shady thing. And, you know, it still happens today. I mean, in other forms, but um, you know, just guys like signing away their life for like, you know, like a paycheck and, you know, foregoing like royalties and stuff like that. It was really a horrible thing what happened to those guys back then. And um, it still happens today to a certain extent. Can you talk a little bit? I mean, I'm fascinated by the payola scandal. Yeah. Jack Jack Cassidy talked to me about it from Jefferson Airplane. Oh, cool. Uh, but I'm wondering about like, um, if you could talk a little bit about the idea of where a black artist, you know, um, would would make a tune, you know, mm -hmm. create a tune, and then uh, someone like you know George Jones would cover it. They'd whitewash the tune. It was like an R and B raunchy stuff. So they they whitewashed it, and then yeah. a white artist got famous off of it. Can you talk yeah. a little? Just talk like what was pressing and why that even stood out to you, just because maybe of the injustice of it all. I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, like George Jones is like kind of a is is like kind of kind of, kind of is is kind of a badass. So I, I give him a I give him a. <laughs> yeah, that might have been the like, Pat, like Boone. Pat Boone. Pat Boone. Pat Boone. Pat yeah, Pat. So, so, I, so, I, so I was actually good. Yeah. So my next person I was going to say is Pat Boone. That's what my dad always talked about. <laughs> that guy was just like, I mean, complete shit. Just like terrible, <laughs> terrible dreck. Um, and, you know, people like exist like him today. I mean, like I like Justin Timberlake, but I see like shades of uh, Pat Boone in his vibe sometimes. Wow. That is such a classic state. I mean, I'm so <laughs> that go. So so um, do you do you remember what your dad like? Did he talk about his position at the time? Was he hip? Was he aware enough to know what was going on, or it was all under the table and only came to light the scandal? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, like my, I mean, like my dad was really in that world. He was more of like a, a live musician who kind of sure. like, um, sure. like a lot of bands would come to town. Like this, this is like back in the sixties and seventies, but a lot of bands would travel without a band, and they would have like bands kind of like kind of sight read the music in each town. So sure. he would play. He played for like James Brown and like Stevie Wonder and like the Four Tops and Temptations and stuff, and just like you know, just learn the music like that day or whatever, like that. Um, So he wasn't really in like the recording. He wasn't like a quote unquote artist, like writing things and having to deal with like the minutia of like day-to-day -day labels. So he never, he, but he was like educated on it because he was friends with a bunch of like dudes, you know, who were in that scene. So. um, Talking to Brian Harding here on the Jake Feinberg show, uh, you know, just, I'm just curious as we enter the new year, um, like musically or from any uh, art, artistic point of view where where do you want to push yourself out of your comfort zone the most uh well i mean it's you know i, I started out playing music you know with jason who you mentioned um so we played music a ton and then like the past couple of years i really took a back seat to that and started this account film and i didn't really plan on making music like ever again um but we started the Saint god house band so i kind of want to 
you know, push that a little further and record some more and like possibly play some shows and um, take it out of the realm of just like Instagram and, you know, make more books and maybe like a documentary or something like that. So just um, I found, you know, during COVID, when I started film, I never thought that I could start something like this. I never thought I could make merch. I never thought I could make a book. I never thought I could like do all these things. But I just found that if you just kind of jump in and kind of do it, then you can usually do it sometimes. Well, I mean, you're making it sound. I mean, that's the the art of genius is making something complex look simplistic. But um, can you just talk about your earliest memory of, of transcending into the intergalactic with Jason Abraham, Abraham Roberts playing music? <laughs> yeah, I can, I, can, I can pinpoint it to one moment. We oh, were, great. Um, Go ahead. We were playing a high school talent show. Um, I think our junior year, and I'd never played on stage before in my life. Jason was pretty, I mean, he was still young, but he'd still played a bunch. Um, and we cover the Black Crow song, Remedy. Huh. And I sang that, and I just, like, I couldn't, I couldn't believe how good it felt. And, like, I did, like, really well. Um, and the crowd responded to it, and it was just a crazy, I mean, it's a crazy high, a crazy feeling. Um, even there was, like, uh, some dinky high school talent show, but still, you know, it kind of, like, kind of showed me that I did want to do that. Um, so I do pinpoint at that moment uh, quite, quite uh, specifically. Were you guys able to like, um, did you play gigs in high school? Like what kind of, what kind of, and also like, did you, because your dad uh, was a jazzer, did you learn to uh, hear music before you learned to read it? Well, you know, I, 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 I took piano lessons very young and like, I always had a really hard time reading music and I, what what I started to do was um I can't think of the term for some reason but just like hear the uh just like play by ear you know uh -huh. um and my piano teacher got pretty pissed like she caught me doing that after about a year or two but um it taught Dude, me the thing I love I just want to tell you Klaus Vorman the great bass player and artist he oh, told yeah. me that he told me that uh you know his piano teacher had like a dog collar and she'd like yank his <laughs> neck because he would not he would not <laughs> read the music dude. so yeah. Yeah, I mean I mean it was it was uh. So she, it took her a year to catch on that you were just playing by playing by ear. Yeah, I mean, it. I was very young, so it like, may have been six months, but it, but it, it, like in my head, it felt like a year or two. But that, but that did teach me to have like a really good ear, and I still, you know, if I'm I'm not like a crazy like dynamic, you know, virtuoso guitar player, but I do have a much better ear than most people that I can pick up on just chord changes and stuff like that. So that kind of taught me uh, that talent. Um, piano i wish i'd gone further with piano because i really do writing on it I, I really do love writing on it playing it but uh i'm very basic on piano i mean to me like uh i just want you to talk a little bit about you know the when you got did you guys actually have a band at some point like you and jason or when was the first working band that you had yeah we had um a pretty casual band and uh we started a band after that talent show called pensy prep and um it was just super like a what you would expect of a late nineties high school band, like Weezer meets Radiohead kind of stuff. Um, and then we went to Appalachian state college together and we started to get a bit more serious about it started a band called player piano. And um, that was a bit more pavement indie rock kind of stuff. Wow. Um, and that, you know, I mean, what does pa pave pavement mean? Oh, like the band pavement. I, I did. Got it. Okay. I thought that was a yeah, musical yeah. term. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. No, just like very like, not, you know, like indie rock, like I, you know, like I got it by voices pavement kind of stuff. Um, and then we moved to New York City and linked up again. And that's when it kind of got really serious. And we started this band called Hymns, like a church hymn, H-Y-M-N-S. And that was kind of a bit more like country fried Wilco Stones kind of stuff. And um, sure. we made kind of a name for ourselves locally in New York. And we toured a bunch. Um, 
and then we kind of uh went our own ways and then reconnected back again later it's kind of you know we just we've just been playing music for like i don't know like 25 years together you just talk a little bit about that the the i guess the idea of coming back to music continuously i mean maybe it you can never really get it out of your system. And, you know, for yeah. me, so much of the, uh, the experience now is it's, it's one thing to have a live music experience. And it's another thing to have a live music experience with people that you are connected to, that you're friends mm -hmm. with, that you want to support. You love their point of view, where they're coming from. It's like, uh, very healing. Mm -hmm. And just from your point of view, like, did you like in New York, for instance, I mean, when you were working a lot, how much did the music and how did the music heal your psyche, if at all? Um, what, I mean, what I mean by that is like, you know, obviously we talked about at the outset, you know, um, you know, you were, you drank, you know, so like, you yeah. know, clear, you know, I mean, it's a musician's life. I mean, I've, I'm writing my fifth book and it's like, you know, oh, wow. yeah. And it's like, it's like, uh, you know, these cats all, you have to be a, Mike Finnegan, the great, keyboardist from bonnie raid and phantom blues band he was like you know you got to be crazy to be in this life <laughs> as a musician yeah. so i i know just from my own experience of feeling that one of the by one of the perks of being a musician if you're playing music you love with people you love is that you're gonna get healed you know on like a metaphysical level yeah i know I, I i i totally feel it i mean um we we uh, didn't jam or anything like that in that iteration, but we did play tons of live shows and we got to be a really tight live band. And when you had those moments when it's just really connecting, I know it just sounds like a cliche thing to say, but when, you know, when it's really connecting, it really hits. And um, that happened a few times with us and, you know, playing a crowded New York bar that's like sold out to see your band is a really crazy feeling. And um, we had that a few times and we got really good and, um, you know, broke up eventually, but still everyone's friends. Um, but I, you know, I was, really enjoyed recording like a thousand times more so i think those moments kind of occurred to me more like in the studio can you talk about a specific time in the studio i, I i'm fascinated with you, you getting off more on the, on the recording side uh i think probably the first time i really had a bunch of fun with it was our first time in los angeles back in like 2008 we recorded with dan horn um from from uh, circles around the sun i think you've interviewed him of, I mean, a deer, like a shaman character. One of, oh, my, yeah, hero, of, one of my heroes, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah same, same. Totally and like, nice. just going to his like home studio, um, which is really crazy for me because I'd never been to LA and never seen like such cool gear. And like we recorded to tape and it was, that was just a moment where it, it was the first time it felt really, really real and really cool. And like anything was possible. And you're just in like this town, like Los Angeles, you're recording with this like guy like Dan Horn, like Jason. <laughs> and, and it just felt like I, such dude, a- Honestly, no, that is- uh... That's like Christmas. A movie, you know? That's Christmas every day, right there. Yeah, yeah, it was so so. So that was probably the first really really fun time I've had um, in in the studio. But I've had a lot more times past that. Well, I mean, once you be, once you got, you know, your sea legs a little bit. Talk about a time of, you know, uh, I guess being in the proverbial zone. I mean, in the studio to me today, especially, uh, everything is so. Uh, you know, you just with technology, you can, you mm -hmm. know you don't hit at the same time. And I just feel like that's a sin yet. You know, I'm not doing production and stuff. I feel like everyone should be hitting at the same time. I mean, I just interviewed this guy, Dougie Rodriguez today, who was really close with Dougie Roush and wound mm -hmm. up on some Santana records. And like, you know, 
he, he overdubbed his solos. McLaughlin overdubbed his solos. Right. So, you know, the rhythm, I I don't want to be Pollyannish, but, right. um, you know, like, were you primarily part of the rhythm section? Would you lay down or were you a lead guitar player? How would you like, and also how would, uh, how would you like, would you lay the rhythm tracks down first and then overdub or did everybody hit at the same time? Yes. It, you know, it went back and forth. We tried a bunch of different variations, but usually it was like the, usually we, we, usually we did it live and, yeah. we, and we only, and we only overdub vocals um, and some like percussive stuff and like keyboards, but usually with hymns, we like to play live all the time. Um, we you know we like that whole like exile main street kind of like thing. And like, we like to like, be <laughs> so, and I think that's cool. If you're like, if you're a good enough tight band, you know, I think you, that, that you should do that live. Um, but I think you can also make super cool stuff, you know, just like piecemeal. All right, Brian Harding, I want you to tell me um, what the vibe was like the first time you saw Fish in the early 90s. Oh, man. I mean, just because I, I think I think I think that I'm like, I, I don't want to get into my own personal feelings. I saw him a couple times in the later 90s. Um, I feel like the only time I would have wanted to see them, I haven't seen him in a long time, mm-hmm. um, would have been right at the outset and i guess one one question i had you can riff on it any way you want and by the way you can go off in any direction you want you don't have to answer these questions but um was it was one of the things that was so amazing about those early scenes and vibes was that of your immediate sort of the access the proximity you had to the band in order to get content yeah yeah, I mean, you know, we I don't I don't know if Jason talked to you about his relationship with Fish or not, but um his no, cousin. Yeah. Oh, so so Jason's cousin is John Fishman. Oh, I know that. We, we beyond that, no, I know nothing. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. So so you know, it's it started with I mean, we were just at that time and I'd say 1995, we were just like fans of like Nirvana and like Guns N' Roses and we didn't really know much about much um outside of that. And I remember one day Jason brought like the tape of Rift to class. And we we're just like, what is this tape of like, <laughs> like, like the art was all weird and trippy, and like I was instantly just like really into it, and um, we we fell in love instantly with Fish. So our, my first show was October twenty sixth, ninety six, in Charlotte, wow. and um, it was a really crazy way to start because Trey like dedicated a song to Jason like on stage. I'm sorry for me. We got to slow down here, dude. You blew my mind away, dude. Hold, hold on. <laughs> was it was it the Charlotte Coliseum? Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, so that's a, a kind of a cool older uh venue not i mean you know not one of the newfangled things in 96 and yeah it's like where the hornets play sure sure no and so you guys had you were on stage like wh- why was the why was the song dedicated to jason and and i assume you guys had the press pass or guest pass or whatever yeah yeah so so jason had just played a Jimi hendrix competition a couple weeks prior and this was this thing <laughs> It was, it was, it was like kind of corny, but it was cool that he did it. But, um, no, it dude, that's by, ridiculous, dude. Yeah, it was put on by yeah. Al Hendricks, which is Jimmy's dad. But it was like a nationwide competition to see who could like play like the best Jimi Hendrix song. And um, Jason like pretty much like crushed uh, Voodoo Child. And um, oh, he got up to like he got up to like second place and like competed in Seattle. And um, oh, he got second wow. place overall. But still, it's pretty crazy. And uh, I guess John caught wind of that and he told Trey backstage and like Trey was like sweet enough to like to dedicate like run like an antelope to him and it was just really mind-blowing and I was just like I couldn't believe that that had happened at a 
Oh this my night. dude, that is maybe the greatest story of the year, dude. I mean, yeah, I'm, it's crazy. I mean, it's, it, it's out there. It's out there. So um, yeah, we got backstage. We got to meet like the guys, and like you know, I was just fourteen year old. Like we made like a sign for Trey. It was like so stupid. Um, we gave it to him. But... You're you're a fanatic, dude. I love it. That's yeah. Funny. I mean, that's we're, we're also fourteen, and we had no we had we had no cooth. Um, right. Sure. It, sure. Was, it was really dope, and um, you know, from then on, I was hooked, and uh, just like. I'd never felt the vibe of like a hippie show before, you know, I never felt the vibe of like people in patchwork and like people smoking weed and like patchouli. And like, it just like the whole vibe was like very cool. And um, we were just hooked, you know, we just kept going to shows. Like we went to like a, to a big Cypress, you know, we went to um, a bunch of cool right. stuff. Right. There we, was like a lot of those big uh, camp out kind of ones. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. So, yeah. So Cypress was like the two, was like the millennium show in Florida. Exactly. Um, exactly. They played till sun, sun up. Yeah, and on film, on the Instagram I do right now, I've been doing like a big Cypress month, just like archiving all these like kind of curatorial like moments from that festival. So, tell me a little bit like about the the I mean, tell me about that the idea of the book and like how, how where did where did the germ for that come from? Uh, well, it pretty much like exactly when the pandemic was announced. A pandemic, it was like April twentieth, not not April twentieth, but April of twenty twenty. Um, I was just like doing that. I was just like bartending and I didn't, you know, we got shut down like faster than anybody. And I was just kind of like, what do I do? It was a before unemployment before anything. I didn't, I was just very kind of lost. So I had the idea to start this Instagram of um, film photos, only film photos taken by fans of fish. And uh, I started wow. that Instagram just kind of like on a lark and I put out the feelers on like websites and message boards and um it got big pretty quickly and I was pretty surprised and I just started going full force into it. I started making shirts and stuff. And then I was approached by this company called section 119 pretty early on. Uh, they're really cool, like clothing company who make kind of like upscale jam band clothes. And uh, they offered to fund like a book version of the Instagram account. So that was kind of like my idea in the first place. So I was super stoked and I spent like a year of like the lockdown, just making this book. And uh, we put it out. It was a huge delay, but it was because it was our first time doing it. We were kind of idiots about it, but we got it out. And I think people like it and um, hopefully working on a second one. What is, you just have to, when you talk about film from audience members, you're talking about like. Uh, Disposable photos, like your cameras. Right. So then you take that in, it's just explain the process and ultimately like, you know, what people can sort of expect like the essence of what is the essence that you want to get across how do you know that people are enjoying this book uh well i mean i get you know i I get dms like all the time um on instagram about the book and just the instagram in general it's a pretty cool feeling but as far as the process of the book goes um i literally had people like mail me in physical photos that they took and I scanned them myself at a scanner and sent them back to the people. So it was a big like trust thing and like felt very like privileged to be getting these like special photos that these people like have been saving their whole lives. And um, luckily they all got mailed back successfully and everyone got their photos back. And uh, the photos just kind of, the, the book is just kind of like a visceral experience. You know, if you're expecting pictures of fish, it's not going to be there because I can't legally do that, but it's like a kind of like a ephemera and like crowd shots and it's just kind of like vibes of that time so it's called 1.0 which is the period of like their beginning to like 2000 uh wow. so it's like a huge 250 page book of just like tons of photos and um we have a few left we sold quite a bit but there's still a few left i think we might do a reprint and um 
I'm hoping to possibly do a book on Big Cypress if that works out. What was? Your, can you talk about your the first transcendent psychedelic experience you had at a fish show? I assume you didn't trip out at 14. No, dude, I didn't. I didn't even like do anything like in 1.0 really. Like I was, you know, I was even a Big Cypress, which is the hugest thing. I I was completely sober, so I didn't really have a psychedelic experience at a fish show until like Gorge, like last year when I did like a little bit of mushrooms. Um, and that's pretty much it. It's it's a it's a strange thing to hear that I haven't really tripped out that hard. No, actually, I think that's really remar remarkably cool, actually. Yeah, I mean, I just I haven't really been a concert tripper guy. I'm more, I like to do that like either alone or with a friend and just like kind of hike. Yeah, deep, dude, totally in nature, deep dive. Yeah, I think yeah. if I'm at a show, I'll do like I'll just smoke some weed or something. I just it's not really like a thing that I like to get really like. Honestly, man, with. I could not. I I do not want to. I want to enjoy the show. I don't yeah. want to fucking lose my shit. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, even at the gorge, it was kind of pushing it a bit much. I was kind of like not having a great time. <laughs> right. So. Yeah, you know, it's 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 uh, I completely am on board. I mean, fish 1.0 for 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 cats like millennials or even people like me who are really, um, you know, not hip to the band. Mm -hmm. What what was what are they doing today that still resonates with you? Uh, how has the band changed? What was 1.0? Uh, in terms of where the, all the guys' mindsets were as well, it seems like I remember being at BU and I guess it was Breathe came out and, um, you know, we would just go listen to that album. It was very hip. Cats were going to the Providence Civic Center all the time. I mean, they were yeah. already well-established. I just remember people eating a lot of acid yeah. <laughs> at these shows. <laughs> and I went to see them at Nassau and but at Coliseum, and I think I saw them. And, you know, I got on the boat for a second. But yeah, yeah. I'd love you to I'd love you to, as best you can to articulate 1.0 and how if uh, where the essence is today from that time. Well, I think those guys are just like su like super hungry during 1.0. I mean, like, you know, they started to become a household name, I would say, around like 94, 95 when like Jerry died. They really became like the next thing. And like, I think a lot of people kind of trashed them for that because they just thought that they were kind of like climbing onto that thing. But I really think that's like totally false. Like they're amazing. And um. I think, you know, I think drugs are a lot of um, influence on fish in those days. Like Trey is sober now. And, um, you know, I think he was in that kind of drug sweet spot in the 90s before you get kind of like in that spiral, you know. Um, Absolutely. But, so I think he was like hitting that peak until, you know, he it got bad in the in 2.0, which was kind of like a gnarly time for him. But, um, you know, I think it was just a crazy thing. I think they I think playing Europe really changed them a lot. I think like those festivals changed them a lot. I just think that they were really like telepathically like uh, connected in a weird way. I mean, I, and, and I think they still are, but there's just something about the nineties and it sounds like really like old man of me, but I think like the lack of cell phones, I think was just a huge thing too. Just like looking at those photos and the videos with people not filming anything for social media, which is such a, it's such a trippy thing to look at now. It's so mythical to me. Well, basically, that's sort of what I'm trying to get at is the idea of you can still have you're spot on, but the idea is you need to be ta videotaping at the most cathartic peaks of the music. So yeah. it's like it's it's actually entertaining. You know, it's like highlights. It's a yeah. sports. You know, it's not and and the propensity of that now, um, it, you know, but it's still uh, it was when you say they took heat uh, for you're saying that the dead crowd, there was a void. And so they somehow the, those fans based on sort of the vibe of the show, not that the music was any, anything similar, uh, 
they got that audience. Yeah, I mean, I just think there's like a lot of like lazy journalism of people who are just saying like, oh, fish is like the next dead because Jerry died. And like, they're just like, just like ignorant stuff, like, you sure, know, without sure. even listening to fish, they're just like, oh, this is a hippie band taking place of this other hippie band. So like, that makes sense. And it's the same year and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, that comes kind of like, but I think people, I think they kind of broke, like broke out of that. And, um, you know, I don't think anybody really talks about that anymore. Um, but as far as like now, as far as now, you know, I don't, I don't really go to that many shows. You know, I, I never toured with fish. I never really had like the money or time. I was always like working. Um, so I'll, I'll catch fish like, you know, once or twice a year now, but um, you know, it's different, you know, they're older guys and it's different music. And like, I don't expect like Trey to like, be like on cocaine wearing like gold pants when he's like 60 years old like it's, fine. It's, it's fine it's like it's chiller it's different um i still have a great time every time i go to a fish show so you know there's they're still great they're still making new music and they're still playing different set lists every night and it's awesome how how do you what is your advice to younger cats about using new media as uh, a producer of content specifically quality content in order to drive consciousness i mean you're very out there you've had a lot of success part of its monetization obviously but part of it's also like cutting through the morass of everything else out there mm -hmm. and i just wonder what tips you would have for younger cats about disseminating original content in order to inspire rather than receiving content and drowning yeah yeah that's interesting that's a good question um I don't know, man. I think, I think just like, you know, the old phrase, like, write what you know, like, you know, at the end of the day, I've had the most success with like the jam band stuff. Cause it's just like what I grew up with and it's what I know really well. And if you're into like, you know, kraut rock, then you should make like a kraut rock page and like talk about kraut rock. And like, you know, if you, if you love it and like your soul loves it, like that will come through. And I think people like can feel that and they respond to that. And if they don't, then um, is what it is. But, you know, at least you've tried and at least you've been like genuine. I just want like people who are like, genuine and authentic that's all i really care about it doesn't you know if it's a band that i don't love then whatever but at least you're being true to yourself and like there's not a bunch of those people left anymore you're absolutely right man and you're absolutely right you think that in fish 1.0 there were more authentic people is it a shrinking crowd or has it always been not that many you know i think fish like unlike the like dead and co or something like that like they haven't gotten like i don't think that many quote-unquote new fans i think a lot of people are still just seeing them who are like in their forties and fifties now. Um, I still see young kids at shows, but it's cool to see like parents who are getting their kids into it. And I'm sure they're like, I get DMs all the time from like kids in high school who are like, Oh, you know, I just got into fish. And what was it like seeing them in the nineties? And like, so it's really encouraging to know that fish is lasting through like this next generation. Um, and I think it'll keep lasting. Um, you know, my show is based on the four L's is leadership, love life and, and lineage and I, I just wanted to ask you about um who was the best leader you ever uh, came into your life and and how what do you think the best qualities of leadership are on the bandstand or in the studio Ooh, well i don't know i don't know if i can think of a leader specifically I'd, i need some time on that but I, I i think i think at the i think i like the david bowie model where he wasn't like a dictator so much as he just like hired really cool people who he loved and just let them do whatever they want. And um, I think that's what kind of comes through. I think you just need to be careful in your career. And I think you need to be careful in your curation. And I think as long as you curate properly, I think you'll have a good experience. And, um, you know, sometimes you won't necessarily need a leader. Um, was the, did you have anybody you looked up to or, um, or, you know, ultimately like, 
what are some of the qualities of curation? Uh, like you're talking basically, you know, let your work speak for itself. But can you talk specifically about curating something in your life that came to fruition and the, and the sort of intricacies of that curation that fostered leadership and got it over the finish line? Well, I think, I mean, I think this new thing I'm doing called House Band is kind of like an example of that. I mean, that, that kind of like was bred from a kind of organic place. And, um, you know, me, Jason and I got together and got together the best people, in our opinion, to play on that album. And I gave them like no direction. I just was like, look, I want to make like a groove centric, kind of like repetitive record. Let's just play. And like we spent a day recording and we made a full album. We didn't plan on doing that at all. Um, and I wouldn't really say that there was a quote unquote leader in that situation. I think everyone's just kind of on the same page and the same kind of like wavelength. And I think that that's kind of what made it work. Um, I love it. I love it. Yeah. No, so dude, thank you for reminding me about House Band. Dude. Oh yeah, yeah. Tell, tell me, tell me about. I mean, these are some of my favorite people. Um, tell yeah. me about Patrick Kelly, man. Where did that? How does that guy fit into the picture? Yeah, I never, I never heard his name until like three months ago from Jason and he completely like floored me. He's just a fucking Talk to me about his style, man. You said you're a jam band guy, but I feel like your ear is more sophisticated than that. I wouldn't pigeonhole. I hate pigeonhole and stuff. Oh yeah. Me too. Me too. No, no. I mean, I, I, I'm not even like a really jam band guy. I just really like, I just really like fish in the dead. Yeah. But, no, um, but, uh, but tell me about Kelly's, I haven't gotten to that cat yet, but like, I, I'm not hip to him either, but his, he's a ferocious player. He's sick, man. I um, I pretty much, you know, I really, we really, we really love like early Beastie Boys when they were like yeah. instrumentalists, you know, like when they played mm -hmm. in a band. Sure. We really like, we really like, you know, like a, a Modesky Martin Wood. So we had him bring like an upright bass. We had him bring an electric fretless bass because I love that kind of Paul Simon Graceland stuff. Oh my god! And, and then he played. This his, is out of control, man. Yeah. Then he just brought his like normal bass, and dude, he just like, just like plug and play, man. I mean, he he went it. He just went, he just started flying. It was crazy. And he's a super, super sweet and um, just a really cool guy. Everyone in the band is really nice and sweet and uh, really easy to work with. And we just had a, we just had a blast. We, to give you a bit of an origin, if you're curious. um, Sure. This was kind of brought together by section 119. Like Greg, the head of the company approached me about starting this thing called house band. The, 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 like the name was his idea. And uh, the idea was just to record a few seconds of like some sync music, which for people who don't know what that means, it means like music for commercials and stuff like that. And uh, we had just gone in with the plan of recording a few 30 second snippets of some cool jams. And we ended up making an entire album in like 10 hours. So we didn't really plan to release this as an EP or an album, uh, but it came together. And um, we're really fortunate to have to to have all these great people involved. Um, I just want to go back for a second. Uh so yeah. how did it wind up all these first of all i want to round out the band we know jason josh is a, is a great cat amazing yep. drummer pat and then who else is who rounds up the group uh so it's me and then jason and then this guy named uh andres i'm, I'm my, my, my uh, yeah, Ren, yeah and uh renteria uh, the percussionist yeah yeah yeah, uh, yeah um andres renteria or Renterias and uh yeah incredible nice guy um really super pro i never played with like a pro percussion player and it's just what it adds is just like is it just mind-blowing it's dude the man is i've seen him live it's just like oh, a machine the scarger coming out but um it's crazy so so you were just did you have like a certain amount of studio time booked or did it was it just sort of turned into these like 10 hours like spontaneously well, jason jason has a really sick attic studio in his in his house in frogtown in la 
So we didn't have to worry about any hours or any kind of like stuff like that. Um, we just went up and played. And so Jason like produced it and like engineered it and we mixed it together, Jason and I. Can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, just sort of the the qualities that you try to bring to a session? I mean, are you somebody who, maybe even an example of, uh, you know, how you serve the song. Some people like Jason, uh, I mean, he's so classic because he can uh, say what he needs to say in a very short period of time. He can totally yeah. stretch out if he wants to. He's yeah. like supportive of everybody else. Mm-hmm. You know, Josh is that way. And like, that's like, the, and you know, horns like that. Andres is like that. So yeah, um, you must be like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, yeah, I, I hope. What do so. you bring to the table, man? That's what I'm trying to say, you know? <laughs> Well, I bring to the table where it's kind of like, I think I kind of like set the tone for what it would kind of maybe sound like, but I also literally do play music in, it, in the band. I play, um, I play like rhythm guitar and some keyboards. So my I plan, my plan for that whole session was to kind of like s- hang back and let these guys who were like, I mean, I consider myself a cool player and I'm good, but these guys are like, you know, insane. <laughs> Wait, what's a cool player? I, well, I want to know what that means. Well, I think that I'm, if I, if, if, if I'm good at anything, it's like being, I'm like a cool, like rhythm guitar player, like, sure. Um, I can add some cool stuff that some people maybe can't do. And like, I have some like funny, cool, weird ideas, but you know, that's more like, I'm more like texturizing the music and they're just like completely like making it just and like destroying it. So I kind of just wanted to kind of be in the background, but also add some textures and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, we didn't even really like look at each other, or, like make any kind of like, I don't know, it was a very strange day. We just kind of all were on the same page and just kind of like nailed it. Please tell me that at some point, though, because he's always looking around, that Jason looked at you and said, yo, take, take, take as many bars as you want, Brother Harding. <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, no, <laughs> no, because you know what I'm saying? Like, that music, which kind of comes across as like a M1 Dishi sort of bitches brew kind of vibe, at least the mm-hmm. little clips that I've heard, um, more modern. But, um, you know, that all that music is textured music. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it takes gifted geniuses to just you know be able to just sort of turn on a dime and make it interesting so the fact that you can just continue to sort of paint like that is uh yeah it really felt like painting and like listening to back to it now i'm just like i don't even like remember like doing certain things it's just like we're we're also like very stoned but we're you know but also looking back on it, it's hard to, it's hard to think about doing all that stuff so um can you talk just about um you know, your concept of love, how you, uh, how you give love and bring love to the world. Um, I think just kind of learning to, uh, accept and maybe not understand everything. I think that's kind of like the key to the world right now is that, uh, maybe you don't need to understand everything, but you should accept things. And I just try to kind of do that in my everyday life. And, you know, hold the door for a person if you see somebody. I think just those little like weird like butterfly effects kind of affect the whole world. And I just uh, try to do like little little things. And I think if everybody did like little things, I think it would be like a cooler place. Um, yeah, I mean, we have no control of. Are you? Do you feel like what kind of affected? You know, to me, like I would look at it and say, I mean, you just, you know kind of hunkered down came up with a great idea and but yet COVID had an impact on everybody especially as related to like isolation 
yeah. uh, obviously a breakdown. There's a huge dysfunction at the political level. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a humbling experience. And then obviously just the idea of just sort of acknowledging that we have no control of it. Um, and that's always been something that's been hard for me as well. I, I feel like uh, did, aside from the uh, the birthing of the of, of your business during the COVID, was that did was that a humbling experience for you as well yeah i mean it still is every day for me i mean i still you know i'm i'm kind of weird about getting praise and like stuff like that so even if i get like a dm saying like oh i love your instagram or like it's my favorite instagram or i like this record a lot it's like it feels great and um i'm happy that they like it but it's still i still feel like oh i might be like an imposter or something or like maybe it's not that good or like you know what all this kind of stuff goes uh, totally through, man know? no it's uh, to, everyone's in we're all insecure man you know you yeah, don't you yeah. don't trust you don't trust yourself you know so i just uh, i just try to, i just try to keep doing stuff i just try to keep doing different projects all the time and like not really looking back and um just like uh, kind of entertaining people and making sure the content's good and and now making music and hopefully maybe playing some shows and stuff like that so who knows how do you feel about being on stage for a lot of people it's a petrifying experience for a long time. It's almost, they say it's like being naked to the world. Yeah. And I just wonder, like you, you've had a lot of experience, a lot of good times in the studio, but it playing live. Um, I don't know. Some of those cats have done it so much that it's just like kind of second nature. And I just wonder. Oh, yeah. like, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'd, I'd say it's second nature to all of us in the band. I mean, we've all toured so much. I mean, I, I don't think as far as like nervous goes, I don't get nervous anymore, but um there are times when you don't want to do it, but for me, like this project is like my favorite thing I've ever done. So, and I also get like all my other projects I've been like in the lead and it feels really good to just like sit at a keyboard and like play some really guitar. Um, so this is like more of a fun thing for me. So I, I would actually like to play shows with this project. Can you talk about the, the reality of that? Because I would really lose my mind. Do you think, and also, where are you based out of? I'm in Durham, uh, North Carolina. I think you need to move out to the LA, dude. I used to live in LA. <laughs> oh, you did? Okay, so you already yeah. lived out there. Yeah. No. So yeah, you, well, yeah. you're, you're, you're I was you're in cool. New York City for a long time, and then I did LA for a while. And I, I, I like LA. I like, I like going back there to visit a lot. And you know, it's, 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 it's amazing. Are, um, are you out there? Tucson. Oh, cool. Yeah. No, we get shafted. I mean, in the sense that, like, we just, uh, I mean, I love it. I found my voice here, and you know, all the most magical stuff in my life has happened here. But um, Tucson is cool. It is cool, but the, the, it's such a it's a the biggest smallest town in the world. So there's not really the collaborative music scene. This it's kind of mm. interesting to me. Like, I I, I think you you're the perfect person to ask this because like you put together this group, this 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 house band, and um, are there like that to me is almost like they talked about the jazz workshop. That was literally like cutting room floor, working stuff out, people having drinks. But it was like people teaching each other and stuff. And to me, I know you're not teaching each other. You were in there for 10 hours in Jason's studio. How, yeah, yeah. Preval- how prevalent do you think that these little mini projects of individual, this is new, original, creative music. Mm-hmm. How much of that uh, that is quality do you think is going on? I know there's a lot of it going on, but most of it is highly mediocre. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I would say yeah. <laughs> Most music is mediocre right now. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, like YouTube, right? Like, you know, I'm like, people have to search for my interview with Ted Nugent, but when they do on YouTube, right? They're gonna, it's gonna be profound because I humanized him, and we went for by the end of the interview. So I'm saying, like, there's certain stuff that rises up, and I just wonder in your mind, 
is are you guys just a unicorn or is maybe there's a handful I just want to. I want to keep the yeah. pulse going, man. You know, it's all I care no, about. I think. No, I think for sure. I mean, I. I still. You know, even though I just said that most music is like mediocre, which I do, <laughs> which, yeah. which is, is true, and I won't. Yeah. I won't take that back. But like, mm -hmm. I hear like you know. For instance, I saw like Circles Around the Sun live a few months ago in Raleigh, and there's a band that opened for them called The Color Green. Right. And they like blew me away. I was like, oh, these guys are fucking awesome, and like I didn't even hear about them and like know who they were. So I'm sure that there's a ton of cool stuff happening that I have no idea about. You know, there's that, that's there's a very good point. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Eggy, who I love, and like, uh, uh, I can't think of stuff right now. But you know, there's there's a lot of cool stuff. But um, I I, I view us as like one of those like kind of seventies like things where it's like it was like session guys got together to play like a special album, you know, and like they kind of this is like the one time that they can have fun. That's that's how totally, kind of dude, totally. Yeah. So you do say, and so you do say think that that is, and maybe in the in the uh, around the country, I just want to believe that they're are people that are seekers. It's not just about, oh, like, yeah. you know, I think for sure, you know, yeah, I was, sure. you know, I mean, uh, Brian, like, uh, you know, at the end of the day, um, what is your sort of, I don't want to say goal. How, how often are you able to be in the moment or is that sort of yogic experience only prevalent when you're creating art? Yeah, I, I I try to do it more and more because it's harder when you're kind of like online more and you're kind of like in this like matrix, like hellscape zone of the digital <laughs> stuff. Yes. So, but, you know, it's like I try to, you know, try to like jog or like hike and stuff like that. And like, that's when I feel like I can kind of be in that moment. Um, or at a show occasionally, you know, I, 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 I made a rule for myself that I quit filming at shows. Um. So that's helped me enjoy shows a lot more. Can you talk about uh, when you started? Uh, I mean, were you bringing in like a a VHS recorder in the early 2000s? Oh, no, no. I just mean like, I, I just mean typical iPhone social media crap, just like filming sure. a show. Posting sure, it. And sure. Like, you know, and I remember like Fish played a show, Fish played their back from COVID show in Rogers, Arkansas. And I, I like live streamed the first like few songs. And somebody on like Fantasy Tour like called me out for that and, made, and like made fun of me for it. And I got super pissed, but looking back on it, I was like, that's right. It, it is kind of lame to like do all this. And like, now when I go to a show, like I do have like an actual rule where I will not film a show anymore. Right. Um, Cause like plenty of people are filming it already. And it's like, what, what's going to make your phone video so special that like you want to keep that on your phone? Like when you're ever going to like look back at a show that you recorded, like I, I don't ever do that. I, totally. I just would say that it's more about like, if that's what your niche is, if that's what your, if, you know, maybe you're not a, uh, to me, you're, I mean, in some way you are doing some, some kind of journalism, you know, I mean, I feel yeah, like yeah. You're, in some way you're a journalist. So to me, that's absolutely what, uh, you know, my MO is just getting quality content. I'm certainly not there, you know, just live streaming it for the sake of other people seeing it. I'm not going to be sure. also, that's the thing that I, I really got to tell you one reason I, I'm psyched that house bands get gigs is because I know you're not going to be playing places where they're going to have all these large screen televisions. Right. No, no, no. I don't need that shit, man. No, I can't go no. to a show like that. I will not go to freaking sucks, shows man. like that. It's it terrible, sucks. man. Yeah. It's a bummer. You know it's, like like watching, it's like you're watching TV. Oh my God. So that, that, that in itself, it's, it's sort of like, you know, downsizing from like, going to a fish what are your what what's going to get brian harding out of the house and on the dance floor these days 
<laughs> of the show. So when you're 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 gonna you're willing so going to the uh, this is very important going to the large stadium shows for a band that you love put the phone away just clo- have a ball just close the yeah. eyes and have a ball. I, I yes I, I I will go to a large crowded show for Fish or like some like legacy act but for the most part I'll only go to like small clubs and see shows. That's what I want to know. What's going to yeah. get you at? What, what, tell yeah. me what, what, what local bands in Durham have your ear? Well, um, let's see. I mean, there's a really cool band called Sylvanesto who's from here. They're, like, they're kind of famous. Um, and then uh, we have a really cool band called Black House, which is actually uh, this really cool, like all black kind of R&B indie group. And they're super Whoa. sick. Whoa. Um, and then there's a, uh, I produce like hip hop out here as well, too. So there's like really, some really good rappers out here as well. And also there's this venue called The Fruit, which is like hosts kind of like raves and like, te- like techno DJ stuff. And like, I'm super into that. I, I think there's a lot of similarities between that house scene and like the jam band scene. Explain that. Um, well, I think it's just like you're dancing and it's like non-judgmental and there are drugs involved. And there's like, <laughs> music, and yeah. like it's just this like kind of like a communal kind of like in niche community and i just i just love like groove based music of any kind so if i can hear like some super loud like techno dj from like berlin that's like a really special thing for me i, I like that a lot so I'll, I'll i'll go out to that um tell me how you've dealt with uh you know i know it's going to sound weird because that's all our generation is known but just knowing the pedigree of the musicians on this album and stuff what is your how how do you relate to uh, drum machines and synthesizers and stuff? You know, to me, like yes, they're tools, and some of them sound just like the the instruments. But when I think of, uh, I don't know. I mean, I get a little bummed out when I think about DJs. I mean, or house music, just because I'm, I'm I, you know, the, you can say jam band or you know whatever kind of. Uh, but the point is that you go on a journey with. And the, and the human pulse is there. How, how have you learned to sort of use that balance? Because I know that that stuff is prevalent in uh, in some of the music you're in. Yeah, well, um, I mean, I think they can be really cool. I mean, like, you know, like Radiohead uses like drum machines and stuff. I mean, I think it's like, it depends on what drum machine you're using. I mean, I think to me, it's like, to, to, like, to me, like the lame thing that people do now is like use like plugins and like Pro Tools and like these kind of like fake, it's almost like an Instagram like filter or something you're using on your music that's like pre-made by somebody. So I think I think like that's lame. I don't think it's lame if you're using a drum machine or like a DJ. I mean, I think there's a huge chasm of difference between like EDM and like house music. Um, I think EDM is like quite bad most of the time, but house music goes back to like the, you know, the late 80s. It's really like high art, I think to me. Um, what's, the, what, what's the pinnacle of house music for you? I mean, is, is modern day house music better than the late 80s? I mean, I'm not like super educated on it. I just like like what I like. But I'd say like like Detroit in like the '90s was a real like almost like Paris in the '20s or something. I mean, there was like whoa, really whoa, special stuff going on. I love this, dude. Yeah, this yeah, is so, sick. Yeah, it's super like hard and like just like nothing like you've ever heard before. But I hear stuff. You know, there's like a YouTube called like Boiler Room, uh, and they like curate like the best DJs from around the world and will like record like live sets and like that's really cool for me to just kind of zone out and watch those people play um so it's very like artful and i don't know how to do that so it's cool for me to see because i can't like see the moves like when i see a rock band i see like the moves but when like a dj goes like i don't know what they're doing so it's like it's like special to me (laughs) i I dig man um you know uh before i let you go i mean can you describe the uproar when 
when Jason, when you and Jason Abraham Roberts go back to Appalachian State, the kind of re reception you get? Oh, I mean, like none at all. No, I'm kidding. Like you guys, you guys are where? What town did you grow up in? Uh, we grew. Well, uh, I I'd say like a catch-all is like Concord, North Carolina, but uh, you know Harrisburg, Midland, super rural. Like, so if you want to go further, I'd say Charlotte, basically, but a small town outside of Charlotte. I just all um, I, I guess my final question is, you know, looking back on it. How do you use your imagination and in and the na in nature uh, to spawn creativity in other facets of your life? Uh, because you know a lot of those creeks and a lot of the ice chests, the way people used to live like that, it, it's 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 gone now. And so you you guys sort of that's a totally that's a that lifestyle doesn't really exist anymore. No, I mean, I think we just try to stay honest with each other and like what we like and what we don't like. And like, just because something's new or popular, like we don't like feel like we have to like that or like necessarily like respect it. And we kind of like live in our own zones and heads and just kind of make what we want to make and uh, mess with the people that we want to mess with and don't mess with the people that we don't want to mess with. And it tends to work out. Dude, listen to you, man. Wait, give me an example of something that just because it's cool doesn't mean it's hip. Uh, well, I'm not gonna like name names, but you know. No, just, no, no. I, I mean, this is no, I'm talking about. This is about. This is about like um, values. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, just like current, like you know, current uh, celebrity culture, and like just stuff that's to me. I mean, especially if you want to go back to psychedelics. I mean, I feel like after you do psychedelics, that stuff just looks like completely plastic and just terrible to you. And I mean, I don't even do psychedelics that much, but I feel like if you do it once, you kind of like learn that. Many people would agree with you. Kind of strips it, away. It, like, all you need is one. What what is this? What do you mean it strips away? What, explain why. Explain why you only needed one time. Uh, because when I I mean the first time I did that I was like sixteen or something and it just made me realize like instantly that everything was like connected and you know real stuff was real and uh, you know in the past when I've done that stuff and I try to go on social media I can't even like look at it I can't even like my brain won't even like take it. Wow, that is. And I totally am with you, but I think the point is the town you guys came from it, the mentality and the space and it, it, it fostered independent thinking, think for yourself. Don't go. Yeah. Don't yeah. Be, and also, also, yeah. also, yeah, it was just also just as back then it was like a very like redneck rural town that kind of like bummed us out. So like we made our own world, you know, and listened to like Nirvana and like nerded out on fish. So that kind of stuff that like, kind of saved us, you know, dude, that, Jason bringing that tape to school, man, was a game changer. Yeah, hell yeah, totally. Brian Harding, man, I hope we can connect in person real soon, man. I, what's the what's the timetable on the release of the? I mean, I've, I've heard some snippets, but like, or do you not want to lay out how it's going to kind of? Oh no, lay I, mean, out? I mean, like, like I, I think the cool thing with House Band is that, like it, it's totally evolving in real time. Like we don't oh. have a plan, so we put out the EP the day after Christmas, and then we do have a full album recorded. We'll probably put that out, I don't know, spring or something. I probably just, hope to have like a debut show in spring. Oh, and so just where can people find uh, the EP? Oh, yeah. Um, it's on every streaming platform. It's like kind of hard to find because it's so new. But I think if you just type in like house band, we have a song called like Charlie. So if you just type in like house band Charlie, you'll find it. It's also all the links are on my Instagram too. That's beautiful, man. Yo, yeah. it's so good to hear you, man. This is my last interview of the year. I've done about 200 oh, so. And uh, dude, honestly, I I, uh, I learned a lot of cool stuff from you, man. So we'll cross paths soon and do it up. Thanks, Jake. I'll stop.
We'll talk to you soon. Happy New Year. You too, brother. Peace. Peace.